We have in our, um, we live in a part of town that has detached garages, so we got wet today, getting here in our cars, getting to our cars. And there is this, uh, it's one of my favorite spots in my backyard, is um, we inherited a, a terraced brick little area, so surrounded by one side of the garage and a fence. And I've fallen in love with hydrangea that are there and bloom. They're pink and purple, and I kind of think of them as grandmother flowers, and they're showy and a little silly. Except a few years back, there were these aggressive, arrow-shaped rhizomes coming up, and I knew what they were. They were bamboo invaders from over the fence. And I did. I thought of them as nasty, and it kind of made me have to swallow. And uh, we are not big fans of Roundup, but oh, by golly. (laughs) We carefully rounded them up, and we manually tried to bring them up. And it's complicated, you know? (laughs) Bamboo, someone had lovingly planted it in their backyard to solve some kind of gardening earth problem there. But to presage where I'm headed in this sermon, that fence or wall didn't keep it out. And it It's complicated. There are plants we want, plants we don't want. I wanted my hydrangeas to survive, but we walk the river trail all the time. And there are stands of bamboo that we have uh, laughed at people macheteing down or mowing down, which makes them all the stronger, and they grow back. So um, (laughs) what to do? with something that we might call invasive or alien. We're talking about this today and all the, the readings and thank you, Mother Nature, for abetting the first reading and talking about rain, second reading, because uh, we are backing up momentarily this month to look at some of the foundational parts of our religious tradition And I'll repeat this. I need to hear it myself, that our roots are in Jewish and Christian scriptures, and we are a curious, skeptical, thoughtful people who say, yes, and, and what about the stars? What about those other world traditions? What about the wisdom that men and women bring? those who've gone before us and those who are alive today. What about that wisdom? What about all those traditions that valued the cycles of life that were earth-centered? And so we literally, let me read, we believe in the spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions that celebrate the sacred circle of life. So this is a decision 
another group uh, committee decision as we were trying to name what it means to be Unitarian Universalist. And so our sixth source of religious wisdom comes from Earth-centered traditions. And some of that is a corrective. The corrective that so much of post-text writings about both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible is male, names God as male. So part of the effort in the, I'd say everything from the 1800s to now is, wait, 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 there is, why have we gendered God and gendered religion in general? There's a part of me that wants to step aside and say, may I apologize for all clergy who abuse this tradition as I read about uh, what's going on in Pennsylvania and the Catholic Church. So I'll just say that. Um, but we have gendered creation. And it's often been patriarchal. And our efforts to bring in earth-centered traditions is to acknowledge that when we don't pay attention to the cycles of life, we are missing essential wisdom. So one of our core beliefs comes from the transcendentalists and Emerson who wrote his famous 1863 essay called Nature. And what he's claiming is there is wisdom in nature. Let me say exactly that, that, that there is something divine that suffuses all of nature. And we can only understand ourselves and God, if you want to use that language, or creation, or whatever force is bringing life, we can only understand that if we are also paying attention to nature. What we tended to do is say, nature, us. Nature, us. We did that us and them thing as if we're not also part of it. So I'm, I'm going to avoid, if I can, a book review, but this caught my eye when I went to General Assembly in Kansas City. And I look forward, so this is a book called The New Wild, and the subtitle is where we're headed today. Why invasive species like that bamboo rhizome will be nature's salvation? A word that we're, we kind of squirm with too. Well, what do you mean we need saving? And it's written by Fred Pierce. He's a a uh, London-based journalist who's been writing about ecology and nature for the last 25 years or so, award-winning. And after we read The Justice on Earth, some of you might want to pick this up and look at it. And the reason we're talking about it today is we tend to romanticize, I tend to romanticize, and when we ask, what spiritual experiences have you had? Many of us immediately go, well, it was when I was out in the woods. It was when I saw the stars. It was that sunset, which are all wonderful and legitimate spiritual moments when you have 
transcended your small world and see that you're part of something much, much larger. But we have imposed our own cultural and political notions of what nature is and what wild is and what nature can do and what it means to put up a wall or a boundary. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I was interested because we are Unitarian Universalists and we're skeptics and we're contrarians and someone who says, wait, an invasive species can save us? If that isn't a contrarian view of our notion that nature is pristine, well, let's go back to that original creation story in Genesis that damns us to hell because we screwed things up. We had this Garden of Eden and we asked questions and we got kicked out and we've been feeling guilty and trying to deal with nature and how to make friends with it ever since. Our whole country is based on certain notions of what pristine nature is, the Wild West, but we've come and ruined it. And we all know those stories of zebra zebra shells, mussel shells, and cane toads, um, Kudzu, isn't that, but it's not that simple. And what he does is he plows into the science and the science writers and says, well, really, what is some of that based on? Um, Because it's inevitable for us to think of nature as a metaphor It's inevitable for us to think, well, alien species, they're bad, and this is good. What we have and can see, this wilderness out here or this collection of human beings. And so what Fred Pierce does is helps us understand that the metaphor of nature is really important for us to think about the stretch of time that is ancient and far beyond our lifetime. We need to be thinking in geological, cosmological time. Because we'll see a landscape and think, oh, that's pristine. That's, uh, uh, the rainforests are a prime example. Scientists have discovered now that there were ancient civilization in South American's rainforests Those trees were cut down, there were roads, but we think of it as primeval. And he said the the one message that nature gives us nonstop is that it is always changing. And all of our efforts to stop it are gonna get us in trouble. It is no um, accident that Darwin's half-cousin was the man who coined the term eugenics, that there is some notion of a pure race. 
a pure people, like a pure landscape, a pure humanscape. Francis Galton. That's why we have to be careful of how we think about nature as a metaphor. Now, I'm not saying, let me be very clear, I'm not saying that we shouldn't garden or pull our weeds or try and grow food and tell the pest, this is mine, this is yours. But that we are often short-sighted when we see something that we don't understand or when we impose on it this ideological notion of purity. And we do it with plants. We do it with landscapes. We do it with church congregations. We do it with cities. We do it with countries. So Fred Pierce talks about there is a whole now biological branch called invasion biology based on these invasive species, but then tells a hundred examples of how when species mix, okay, so we built the Suez Canal and we built the Panama Canal, and what do you think happened when we lifted that gate? Those oceans mixed. And what ultimately happened is an increase in biodiversity. So here's the lesson. Diversity increases diversity. And yes, there are plants and animals and situations where they take over, but over time, over geological time, or more than one lifetime, what ultimately happens is the environment is enriched because nature is not stagnant, Nature will not let an environment be fallow. That's just... So up come those rhizomes. It's, it's in its nature to want to keep growing. And it is our bias. You know, we're prone to see the negative. It is our bias to go, wait, that, that doesn't belong. So this informs our own sense of what is hospitality? What does it mean to be welcoming to the stranger? What does it mean to let those from a different culture, when we other them and call them names because we don't know them, what does that mean? And yes, we do have to think thoughtfully about who and how we allow people in and what boundaries we set. I'm not saying (coughs) we shouldn't have boundaries. What I'm saying is we need to be infinitely more humble about what it means to welcome a stranger, to assume, to not assume what it means when different plants, animals, cultures mix. And we have to be very careful of what we think about purity. And I need to cough. Hold on. I ultimately didn't let the bamboo invade and my neighbor dug up all the bamboo and we've been bamboo free and enjoying hydrangea. 
but I'm not going to live in that house forever, nor am I going to be tending that garden. We value reason as a tradition. We're going to talk about reason and awe as two of our sources, but we always have to temper our reason or we always have to understand our reason is tempered by our own biases, our own cultural overlays, our own understanding of what ideal is, what pristine might be, what perfection might be. We like to think of reason and science as without bias. And what we continue to learn is there is no such thing as without bias. And when we oppose that bias on a landscape or a group of human beings, we are in really dangerous waters. That this work of creating community, this work of living in nature, is messy and complicated and multi-layered and never simple. And the minute we think it is, we've lost that humility an understanding of the metaphor of what nature actually teaches us. That we have to be in partner with, the whole dominion over the earth is an ancient, untenable, unhelpful metaphor for our relationship to nature. And most importantly, this book and other ecologists and other scientists and other social scientists let us know that diversity is unavoidable, essential, and critical. It's what we need to be opening our hearts to, opening our minds to, and opening ourselves to. May it be so.